Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We are reading in First Peter. We have been reading, uh, or last time we read chapter 2, and now we're ready to read chapter 3. At the end of chapter 2, Peter was in advising us um, to follow Christ's example because he had committed no sin and was not deceitful and while being reviled and insulted, he kept trusting God and he did not threaten or or act up and insult back or respond in kind in any way. So, <clears throat> matter of fact, the last verse here is, the last verse is, For you were continually wandering like so many sheep, but now you have come back to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. And that had to do with us, you know, following Christ as our example so that we would die to sin and live, you know, for righteousness for the Lord. So, all right. So moving on, this is chapter three. Now I am reading in the Amplified Bible. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, subordinate not as inferior, but out of respect for the responsibilities entrusted to husbands and their accountability to God, and so partnering, partnering with them, so that even if some do not obey the word of God, they may be won over to Christ without discussion by the godly lives of their wives. When they see your modest and respectful behavior, together with your devotion and appreciation, Love your husband, encourage him, and enjoy him as a blessing from God. Your adornment must not be merely external, with interweaving and elaborate knotting of the hair and wearing gold jewelry, or being superficially preoccupied with dressing and expensive clothes, but let it be the inner beauty of the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality and unfading charm of a gentle and peaceful spirit, one that is calm and self-controlled, not over-anxious, but serene and spiritually mature, which is very precious in the sight of God. So he's advising here, you know, that, you know, that women, you know, partner themselves with their husband, consider themselves a partner, and I think that's how we should look at each other in a marriage. We should consider each other partners. You know, and not, uh, you know, I don't think anyone needs to lord it over the other or rule the other with an iron fist or anything crazy like that. You know, um, but be respectful and care for one another and submit to each other so that I, you know, I think all of this goes both ways, even though he's writing this intentionally to women. I don't know, um, you know, what they're, um, what their specific um, issues or wants or whatever might have been back then, but I mean, looking at things today, you know, it just encourages you to to you know love your husband and treat him properly. And I think I think men I think this goes both ways. I think men should do the same. And then your adornment not being external and not being you know so worried about appearances. I mean, doesn't that apply to everyone? Really, that that really would apply to everyone. Um, appearances aren't going to really get you a lot. Uh, sometimes appearances can be good, I know. I mean, when you show up for work, you should try to show up, you know, <laughs> clean and, and ready to work and do stuff. But, uh, you know, we shouldn't be 
too worried about the external part of us, to especially to the point of where we worry about that more than the inward parts. The inward part, our heart, is really what's way more important and can be very precious in the sight of God, as he says here. For in this way, in former times, the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands and adapting themselves to them, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, following him and having regard for him as head of their house, calling him Lord. And you have become her daughters if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear, that is, being respectful towards your husband but not giving in to intimidation nor allowing yourself to be led into sin nor to be harmed. Yeah, I mean, you know, be respectful and, and loving towards your husband, but, you know, don't let, you know, if, you know, don't let your husband intimidate you to a point of doing wrong or anything like that, um, I would say, and actually husbands, you shouldn't be intimidating or trying to intimidate your wife. I know, you know, I know there is this temptation when you're angry, but, but really we, we shouldn't be doing that. We, we should not be doing that. We should not be trying to lead our, our wives into sin or, or to, we should not be harming them. That's the last thing we should be doing. So, and Peter's going to talk about that a little bit here. In the same way, you husbands live with your wives in, under, in an understanding way, with great gentleness and tact, and with an intelligent regard for the marriage relationship. As with someone physically weaker, since she is a woman, show her honor and respect as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered or ineffective. If you're not loving and taking care of your wife, see, I, I, everything starts at home. If you're not in your treatment of your spouse, if you're not being Christianly and loving her and taking care of her and your family like you should, then you're really not being a Christian. And it, it will hinder you. It will hinder your prayers. It will hinder everything you do because you're working against yourself. You're, you know, doing something incorrectly. You know, everything starts at home. You have to start there and you have to, you know, it's how you treat your wife. It's how you treat your children. All of that matters. So, and you should show your wife honor and respect. And we should realize that usually as a general rule, now not totally complete 100% of the time, but as a general rule, the woman will be physically smaller and weaker. But that's a general rule that is not always going to be specific. I know there are probably, um, there are women out there that are, for instance, bigger and stronger than me. That's fine. That's life. You know, we all live with what we have and do what we have, you know. So, um, you know, but generally, and we should generally try to, you know, help take care of them and help them. You know, if they're short and they can't reach high, you try to help reach high for them. You know, if they're not strong enough to lift something, you try to do that for them. And that goes both ways, you know. If the woman has the smaller hands and can do things that the guy can't do <laughs> or something, you know, then, you know, try to help each other out. That's the whole idea here. We should be working together as a team. We should be partners and loving and caring for one another. Finally, all of you be like-minded, united in spirit, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, courteous, and compassionate 
toward each other as members of one household. Now this should be in your household as well. Now I know this says as members of one household and this should apply to everyone but it's got to start at home. We've got to start this at home. So let me continue. Kind-hearted and humble in spirit and never return evil for evil or insult for insult. Avoid scolding, berating, and any kind of abuse. But on the contrary, give a blessing, pray for one another's well-being, contentment, and protection. For you have been called for this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing from God that brings well-being, happiness, and protection. So the whole idea here is that you know, we should try to be a blessing and give blessings and pray for blessings on people, you know, because that's part of our purpose. That's what we're supposed to do. And then we inherit a blessing from God as well. For the one who wants to enjoy life and see good days, good whether apparent or not, must keep his tongue free from evil and his lips from speaking guile, that's treachery, deceit. He must turn away from wickedness and do what is right. He must search for peace with God, with self, with others, and pursue it eagerly, actively, not merely desiring it. For the eyes of the Lord are looking favorably upon the righteous, the upright, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, eager to answer. But the face of the Lord is against those who practice evil. Now who is there to hurt you? Excuse me. Now, who is there to hurt you if you become enthusiastic for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, though it is not certain that you will, you are still blessed, happy to be admired and favored by God. Do not be afraid of their intimidating threats, nor be troubled or disturbed by their opposition. But in your hearts set Christ apart as holy, acknowledging Him giving him first place in your lives as Lord. Always be ready to give a logical defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope and confident assurance elicited by faith that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So, I'm going to continue on here in a minute, but I just want to stop for a moment. So Peter is really advising us in how, how we deal with others even if they you know, do not agree with us or they think that we are, you know, some people think we're crazy for believing in God and believing in Jesus and, and following God and doing what we see is right, you know, for doing what is right. He says, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you, you're still blessed. We are. We're blessed by God regardless. Um, though it is not certain that we will, we do not always, not everyone will always suffer for the sake of righteousness. Sometimes, you know, some people don't have that. Some some will. Some will. Um, you know, do not be afraid of their intimidating threats. Don't be troubled or disturbed that, that they oppose you or how they act. You know, because some people, um, some people are just immediately uncomfortable and or angry and or they just do not like anything about God or Jesus that just goes against their being. It goes against what they want to hear and what they are willing to hear and talk about. So, you know, sometimes that's the way some people are going to be. We, you know, we can make ourselves available to them 
But that's all we can really do at the end of the day is, you know, let them know that, hey, we're available. We would, we would talk with you if you want to talk. But, uh, you know, at some point that has to be their decision. It has to be their choice. We can't browbeat them into it. And if they're already hostile with us, which this is kind of what Peter is getting at, they're, they're kind of, you know, they're kind of being hostile, then, you know, we have to, you know, we have to leave that with them and God and, and hope that, that that God can get through to them, maybe with someone else, maybe through some other way, you know, and we can pray for that. And he said, always, always be ready to give a logical defense, meaning, you know, if someone's talking to us and they say, you know, why do you believe in God? We should have something logical, reasonable that makes sense, even if it's just something in your life, you know, whatever that may be. Um... I don't know. I've, I've not been asked that specifically, I guess. But for me, you know, for me, if someone asked me why, well, I, I believe in God because I'm, I don't know. I mean, I believe in God because um, I was reading from a young age and I was reading my Bible and I just, I believe that God exists. I don't see how all of this would happen randomly. Um, there's too many, I mean, if you look at it from a scientific viewpoint, there's too many random things that would have to happen for this to ever occur, for this life and everything in it to occur randomly is ridiculous. And what you're asked to believe, if you go back to like the Big Bang, you're asked to believe that something existed and there was a gigantic explosion. And I can't. I can't go with that. I've never seen an explosion that created life. I've never seen, you know, and we've created some pretty big explosions, some pretty damaging things, and never seen any of them create life. So, I, you know, I have, my, I have some logical reasons, and then I have other more, probably more emotional, mental uh, reasons in that I just believe that there is a loving God that cares about us, that he created us here to, you know, we're to be his children and we're to grow and be more like him. Now, how what that will lead to in the future, I don't know. Um, sometimes, you know, sometimes we have faith and maybe my faith started at a time when I don't really remember that well and maybe I just don't know exactly there's no one particular thing I can point to I just remember that I started on that trip started on that journey when I was around nine years old and I was reading my Bible and you know I read Jesus I read about Jesus in the Gospels and it just made sense and he seemed like the person that I should follow he seemed like the right one. It just spoke to me. So it had to have been God just, you know, God gives us that gift of faith and grace that, that first he must have just been giving that to me as I read, as I was interested in, in the Lord and reading. So that's the best I could do. Um, I'm not very good at, it, at that type of explanation or question. So um, obviously, I probably would have failed Peter's test there. But nonetheless, I do believe, regardless of whether I can explain it that well or not.
Alright, so let's continue. I'm sorry, I got off on kind of a tangent there. Um, but but we should try to be ready that if we talk to someone that we'd be ready to, you know, tell them, explain to them, you know, our how we came to be to the Lord and, and how we look at it. That, that can be helpful to others. Alright, and see to it that your conscience is entirely clear so that every time you are slandered or falsely accused, those who attack or disparage your good behavior in Christ will be ashamed by their own words. In other words, you know, make sure that we're not doing anything so that when people try to slander us or falsely accuse us, it's not true. It's not even anything and it, you know, the truth will out, you know, even if, even if somebody falsely accuses you and you never actually, I guess, definitively prove anything, people will know. People can tell um, what type of person you are by how they interact with you, how you interact with them. You know, there's a lot, you know, uh, and there's a lot you can't help. There's people in this world that will never know you personally, and they may hear tales or slanders about you, and they may believe them. But they've never, if they never meet you personally, and they don't know you, does that really matter? Does that really make a difference? I mean, to me, I have to say it doesn't. Um... That's one reason I don't like to hear and believe things like that second and third hand. I'm like, I'm like I, I don't really know that person, so I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be involved in that type of, it's a kind of gossip anyway, and it's kind of mean-spirited, so I don't want to be involved in that type of thing. So I try to just, you know, I just move on and, and, and I just wait. If I ever know somebody, then, then I'll have some sort of idea. But otherwise. For it is better that you suffer unjustly for doing what is right, if that should be God's will, than to suffer justly for doing wrong. And we, we can't disagree with this. I've always believed this. We should always do what's right. Even if it hurts us, we should do what's right. It's better to suffer for doing what is right than to suffer for doing wrong. I mean, if we do wrong, we deserve to suffer. So, For indeed, Christ died for sins once for all, the just and righteous for the unjust and the unrighteous, the innocent for the guilty, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he also went and preached to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the great patience of God was waiting in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, Noah's family, were brought safely through the water. Now, to me here, he talks, you know, Jesus died for the just and the unjust. In other words, he died for the sinners and the not sinners. He died for those who knew God and who didn't know God. Okay? Now, the thing is, According to Paul, and I, I believe I believe the way Paul wrote this, I believe this is correct. It's from God. We're all sinners. We all fall short. We all do not get it right. So, but He died for all of us. Whether we believe we are just or unjust or righteous or unrighteous doesn't matter. He died for all of us, and and we should realize that that He made that sacrifice for everyone. And we should, we should try to treat others appropriately because he still died for them as well. And then, 
you know, he was totally innocent and he died for us who were who were guilty. We we are guilty. Still, every day we're guilty, I'm sure, of something. Um, just the way it is, you know. So, yeah. And, and if he hadn't have, we would not be able to, uh, you know, repent and, and go to the Father and, and get forgiveness. And then it says, he went and preach to the spirits now in prison. Now, I've always thought this were the, this was the people who did not get to hear the message of the gospel in any way back, back in the olden days. But I don't know that for sure. It's just a thought. Um, and it's just a thought. And you can say it's one of those like theories. Um, but it does sound like something like that, that Jesus went and preached to. It says spirits now in prison. So... I'm thinking of those who didn't get a chance to hear it. He went and preached to them and gave them a chance to hear the gospel. That's just me, a thought, a theory. I'm, I'm just going to say that. Other than that, I, I don't understand anything more about that. I do believe what he's saying, not disputing that at all. I just don't know or think any more about that at this time. But now Peter's going to talk about Noah's family being brought through the flood, and he says, corresponding to that rescue through the flood, baptism, which is an expression of a believer's new life in Christ, now saves you, not by removing dirt from the body, but by an appeal to God for a good, clear conscience, demonstrating what you believe to be yours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. That is the place of honor and authority, with all angels and authorities and powers made subservient to him. So that's the end of the chapter, but I just want to say, you know, um, he's, he's equating our baptism to them going through the flood, because being baptized saves us, it brings us into that new life with Christ. Um, it is, you know, it is... Um, an act of faith, but you'll notice here he also says it's more It's more than that, though. There is more to it than just being an act of faith, though it is an act of faith. You know, we believe, we hear, we believe, and, and we want to be baptized. We want to be baptized into Christ. So it is partly an act of faith, and this faith is, you know, given to us from God. But, let's see, he says... But in the well, this is in the amplified portion. They say demonstrating what you believe to be yours. Now he says, but by an appeal to God for a good, clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, we're making an appeal to God, wash our sins away, please, please wash our sins away, and let us be like Christ. Let us be raised in Christ and be like Jesus. That's that's our appeal to him when we go to be baptized. You know, in the in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we are baptized. And and our appeal to God is that he would wash away our sins so we would have a good clear conscience and that's through baptism. So it's very important. Very important that we do that and we make that appeal that's part of a part of repenting that's part of hearing the word and believing and repenting meaning we want to be different we want to be changed and then we go through the act of baptism which is 
like I say, it's, it's partly an act of faith, but it's also an appeal to God to cleanse us and let us be raised again into the body of Jesus, into Christ, so that we can be more like our Lord. And that's just, just, just the beginning of the journey, really, but, but that's a big deal. And then, whenever we need to repent and, and go to our Father in prayer, we can do that and, and we can you know, get forgiveness again. Because Jesus made this sacrifice once. It's an eternal sacrifice that lasts. That lasts for, well, it's eternal. <laughs> so it lasts forever. It's there for us. Alright, like I said, that is the end of 1 Peter chapter 3. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, God loves you. <laughs>